8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. Tell you what, the Twitter handle that says Victor Africa normally suggests that somebody's a singer, but in this case, it's it's not a singer. But I think it's a wonderful Twitter handle because Victor, when I saw this the first time, when I saw your Twitter handle the first time, uh, at the time that you probably wrote the book, right? What, yes. what, what's the book called? Africa is open for business. Af- yeah, that's yeah. right. And yeah. maybe at the time, Twitter was just gaining currency. Yeah. You know, even I was learning to yeah. tweet. <laughs> but uh, when I saw that, I said that is that is a very descriptive Twitter handle because it. It basically defines the space you're in and the space you want to be. So yeah. there we are. Yeah. Well, for the next uh, hour, just about Victor Kameswana is with me. He is our big hitter for the night. He tweets under Victor Africa, so you can check him out on, on my timeline as well, because I just tweeted a picture of him uh, right away. 891 You can call in anytime you know that, um, particularly if you have strong views on the topic. Otherwise, you can SMS us 40938. And if you are, you, you can send us a WhatsApp voice note. 0614-104-107. Got that? 0614-104-107. So, Victor, good chatting to you. Um, thanks for joining us. Now, you're in South Africa today. You were in Egypt. Yeah. What? Yesterday. Well, I landed I landed last night at, at 8 p.m. It was quite a roundabout flight, but <laughs> I came from Sharm el-Sheikh. Sharm el-Sheikh is in... It's the resort. Yeah, it's the resort yeah. town in, in, in the Red Sea... It's, it's the South Sinai governorate. Yeah, Egypt, yeah. Egypt Egypt doesn't have province as well. You can say <laughs> they have governorates. So South Sinai, it's if you if you're standing on the coast, you you're standing across the the, the coast from Saudi Arabia and, and all that. Yeah, yeah. So it's across the Red Sea, but it's still in Egypt. Yeah. It's a it's a place where almost all the international conventions are held. If they are in Egypt, the last time, the first time, and the last time I was there was December last year to do something also business in Africa. And it's happening, I think, again in two weeks or three weeks in December. So it's a resort town. It's a beautiful town growing very fast, almost at the, at the pace higher than the 5% that Egypt is supposed to be growing at or is projected to grow at. Okay, well, there you are. So so interesting. You were there. Uh, Catherine Constantinidis was also there, part yeah. of this what, World Youth Summit. And, and yeah. I understand she delivered uh, an address on behalf of just South Africa and Africa, which is fantastic. Right. W- what did you do there? It is the World Youth Forum. Right. It's convened by, let's say, the president of Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, President uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. And mm. it was the second time he convened it. And, and I, I was very impressed because here's a head of state who is saying, I want to talk to the young people of Egypt, of Africa, mm-hmm. and of the world. So it's, it was 60 countries, I think, that I saw represented there, 5,000 young people that were, that were in attendance. And they were talking about everything from entrepreneurship to running Africa to business to economics to culture but the one I did in particular was a session called Agenda 2063, the Africa we want. And Agenda 2063 is the blueprint or the roadmap of the African Union. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is, if you remember, the African Union was founded in 1963, right? So it's almost as it turns 100, what will Africa look like? 
at the moment we agree Africa is getting there and people like me are just sick of being a continent with potential mm-hmm. we want to see real things so what what came out of that so so the yeah. Africa we want is actually an African agenda not necessarily an Egyptian agenda no it's an African agenda okay. remember because every time you you change the leadership of african union is rotating to egypt now from okay. paul kagame president paul kagame of, of rwanda so when the president of egypt takes over he is almost among other things he wasn't just doing it for the au but he was doing it for running the country why because egypt as you know is coming out of the post 2011 the the arab spring mm-hmm. and and it really tumbled in a in a big way it has recovered i've got to say as i say the world bank forecast the 5.5.8 percent growth next year so five percent growth is what we would wish to have here yeah, in south yeah. africa but but you sense it you know economies don't lie when you are in mm-hmm. a fast growing economy you know it you see it in a city i was there in december less than 12 months later i'm back where there was no building there's a world-class hotel where there was nothing there's a theme park where the, so you don't just talk about it you see it but most of all ashraf what impressed me the most was how many young people were running the show there i had i i don't think i dealt with anybody over 35 and the majority of the people that were working with me, handling me, arranging me, taking me to the venue, briefing me about the event, telling me what I should do, briefing me on protocol, were mainly under 30. So it, okay. it just tells you something. And women, actually, I, had, I worked with about 10 people and one of them was a man. So it, it tells these, you would, they, would these be Egyptians? Or they, they were Egyptians. Be, these okay, were now Egyptians. As, as the host, yeah. Right? yeah, because they were hosting. You know, they, what, what, what do you did, deduce from that? That they are country, you know, we think, especially in the North African area, in the countries that are Islamic, you know, mm. people tend to think women are just, and they dress like Muslim women, <laughs> you know, that's mm. the, that's the exciting mm. thing. So they're not, they are not defiant in any way, but they are there working, running the show, telling you where to go, telling you don't do this, don't say that. You may not say this. Remember, the president is coming in at this time. When he does, you should do this. And that's just the exciting part. So I'm saying, because the, the, the Agenda 26.3, among other things, has gender and youth participation. So here's a president who's likely to take over and his country is demonstrably for gender equity. That, okay. that encourages That's interesting. Me. I also welcome callers 891 So So what, was there a... You know, was that outcome to the debate that you facilitated in terms of 2063, you know, and in the ease, maybe are there like three key points that emerged from that? You know, the, the, okay, it was one of the many. The event started okay. on the 2nd and it ended on the, on the 6th, on the 5th, I think. So it was, it was one of the many agendas. But yes, there was a summary that came out of it. But just let me sketch the panel, panel for you. It was quite a vast panel. Three ministers from Burundi, youth from Gabon, from Egypt, the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Then there was the president of Afrexim Bank, the African Export Import Bank. He's a Nigerian based in in, in Egypt. Okay. And then there were there were about two entrepreneurs, one from there was a woman from the Gambia and there was an entrepreneur from Egypt who is organizing a social cohesion venture where he takes Egyptians on a tour of Africa bringing them to South Africa by air and then expecting them to drive or hike all the way back to Egypt. And the reason they do that, Ashraf, is he said, Mahmoud, his name was Mahmoud, I forget his surname. He said, is because we know 
for a fact that Egypt and the North African countries are not always seen as being part of Africa mm. by people in sub-Saharan Africa, but more mostly also by the Egyptians themselves, which is tragic because Egypt is a frontier economy. It connects sub-Saharan Africa because it's part of COMESA, the common market for southern and eastern africa eastern and southern africa is also part of the north african union it's got a link a very strong link to the middle east which is a major investor in africa and it connects to europe as well so egypt is one of those economies like south africa like kenya like nigeria that cannot be a failure because if they fail they fail with an entire region yeah it's a good point just just staying with that is is that understandable that that egypt can have you know, multiple identities because because of its strategic location, because of its of its ethnicity, yeah. because of its religious uh, groupings yeah. by and large. That means yeah. they do, and therefore it's un- it's understandable. Yes, and and every country should have multiple mm. identities. If you just consider how multilateralism is the way forward, you know, any country that is doing, hey, we are nationalistic, we're going to protect our national interests, whereas there's nothing wrong with that. They're going to find themselves causing a stalemate like we see with President Trump and mm, China mm, and mm. and Turkey. We, we cannot afford countries that are going to serve interests of only one country and one alone. So often it's by the fact that you are located strategically like Egypt and it helps that the president figured that out and he appreciates it and he understands there's no value in isolating Egypt. But I think, yes, it should be allowed to have those multiple identities because it is at the crossroads. It's like living on a multiple junction. You can't take sides with one of the five okay. junctions. Now, now, did it come through? Because I, I had the, uh, the the CEO of SA South African Tourism in uh, two weeks ago. Mm. Uh, one of the things came up from a South African perspective mm. when, when you target tourism, and we're not talking tourism here, yeah. Yeah. is that do you brand yourself as South Africa or do you say come to South Africa, meaning come to Africa? That means strategically what makes the most sense when you are promoting your region and your country to the outside world. You say come to an experience. Mm -hmm. Tourists are looking for an experience. They they don't really care what you call yourself. Let me give you an example. If you go into the Kruger Park, you might actually find yourself near Zimbabwe, near Mozambique, Mm -hmm. near South Africa. Mm -hmm. You don't care as long as the experience is right. And in fact, I, I always regret seeing people marketing provinces because I say, Nobody is interested in Limpopo. Or That's very true. They're interested in the Kruger Park, in the, the baobab trees. They're interested. So mm. I would say if you want to market yourself, market yourself as an experience. Why do people go to Disneyland? Why do people go to Hollywood? Why do people go? They don't even remember which state of the U.S. is in, in they, Florida or not. Hey, you know, it, yeah. And that's why they can take that and export it. That's why you can take a McDonald's franchise and export it. It's the experience. Many people who go to McDonald's don't remember the food if they eat it at all. But the children are there for the toys. So they, yeah, they want to go to. So, so, so what, what came out of this? I mean, what, yeah. what did you learn in, in terms of facilitating one of the yeah. debates, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but obviously you watched other people as well. I watched other what, people. What, yeah. what came out of it? That, that you'd like to share. Remember, I'm an Afro-optimist, so I look at things at a much higher level, not because I ignore detail, but because I want to know if Africa is still open for business. That's my gospel. Mm-hmm. And every time I look at anything, anywhere, any country, any country, any leader, any online presenter, air pre- air, a presenter like yourself, I'm thinking, is there a chance? So what came out of it is that is one thing. 
the youth of Africa are interested in the affairs of their country. Number two, they are capable of running things. You don't involve them because you're doing them a favor. Number two, gender equality and gender equity are not negotiable. And countries that are headed anywhere are those that will figure out the importance of bringing women into the equation. Mm -hmm. Number three, you can turn the fortunes of a country around. You know, the Arab Spring happened in 2011, Ashraf, mm -hmm. and some countries are still in the throes of what happened back then. Here's a country, Egypt, that took a knock. It was the second after Tunisia in, the, in, the, in February of late January, February mm -hmm. 2011. And when you go there, there are not many signs of the Arab Spring. So you can turn the fortunes. It's not even 10 years since the Arab Spring. But you see, wouldn't, wouldn't one, one argue that differently, just, just to mm. pick up on that, that okay. the, the Arab Spring, were, and let's, take, let's localize it to Egypt specifically, mm. was in fact a, an uprising against a dictator, right? Yes. Uh, well, Hosni Mubarak, yeah. I've, I've forgotten the name already. You know. Yeah, exactly. That that's was it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, uh, what, what is it, Mohammed Morsi, Mohammed, who, who, yeah. who then took over. Yeah. And, Am I right in saying that, that he was removed effectively by a military coup? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wary of venturing into the, those details, the politics of Egypt, because, yes, it was a coup, let's call it that. <laughs> so we don't want to have a Zimbabwe situation. Is it a coup? Is not a coup. He was taken out. But I suspect, you know, that's when we were talking Muslim Brotherhood. We were talking, mm -hmm. it was almost, if you like, factional. And, and often after a coup or after the overthrowing of a government, remember, you are serving the interests of the people that were at the cutting edge of the push, right? And depending on how well you do in assuaging the affairs, their interests, their desires, you may be a good guy or you might not be a good guy. But most of all, as we say in the multiple identity of Egypt, I don't think anybody's going to win if they go one extreme. Yeah, fair enough. But, but, but the point I'm trying to make, you're saying that the, the country, obviously when, the, when, there's a, when there's a toppling of a dictator, mm. by and large, that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. But it also creates a lot of un instability. Yes, clearly, it does. Right? It does. Having said that, they've recovered from the instability, yeah. notwithstanding that they then removed the person that, that was yeah. at, that that won an election yes. to remove a dictator and 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 being helped with I think a government yes. or, or rather the army that propped yeah. up Hosni Mubarak yeah. before it's all yeah. very very contradictory and and that's what politics is unfortunately you know people are going to take sides people are going to sell a vision that they believe can get them popular support and then good for them if they do like President Al Sisi then focus on things that will take care of the basics I think in the end people get involved in politics for economic reasons for socio-economic reasons they want a better life for themselves mm -hmm. they want education they want health you take care of those things you get infrastructure that works you create safety and security which is another pillar of the agenda 2063 by the way because you have what they call silencing the guns by 2020 because Africa is still suffering because of violence people people began they can take over but what I saw in the Arab Spring if I may just go back there is that it almost catapulted Africa into an era where these 80 something year old leaders 70 something year old leaders are no longer guaranteed a place and remember since the Arab Spring we've had the departure from office one way or another of President Mugabe in Zimbabwe 
of somebody who people thought would never leave office in Angola, mm-hmm. Jose Eduardo dos Santos. We still have remnants of the non-Nigerians and the octogenarians in Paul Bia who went and won an election in, in Cameroon. But mm. it's no longer a given that, in fact, African leaders are becoming younger and younger. Well, that's an in- well, well, we may talk about that, just the impact of the Arab Spring, not just on, on North Africa and, and maybe parts of the Middle East, because the Syrian issue is a result of that, but also what impact has it had on the African continent as a whole. So 0891 uh, Ahmed will get to you in a moment. There's also some halftime scores in the PSL and in the European Champions League. Updates will give you those scores in a moment. SAFM and Birchwood Hotel invite you and your loved one to the Birchwood Comes Alive Jazz Evening on Friday the 9th of November at the Birchwood Hotel in Boxberg, Israel. Performing live on stage will be the spectacular Mafizono. Supported by the Levites as well as Neo Dube. While Tolas Mo will have the audience in stitches as the comedian for the evening. Tune in to SAFM and stand a chance to win two VIP tickets and one night accommodation for you and your partner. For bookings, visit birchardhotel.co.za or call 011-897-0000. SAFM, let the music talk. Hashtag right, some uh, just some scores to tell you in the PSL. Firstly, Kaiser Chiefs one, Black Leopards nil. That is a halftime score. Uh, Mamelodi Sundowns three, Free State Stars one. That's halftime as well. That in the European Champions League, uh, a latest score there after 26 minutes. Valencia one, Young Boys Bern nil, CSK Moscow nil, AS Roma one. We'll give you updates of those games as and when they happen. Right, my guests have a big hitter for the night. He certainly somebody who spends lots of time not just talking about Africa and talking in Africa. He certainly plays up the issue of Africa being open for business. Victor Khomishwan. Uh, but he's with us as our big hitter for the next uh, 40 minutes or so. Let's get some calls, however. Uh, Ahmed in Durban, welcome to the show. You're on the air. Go ahead. Thank you, Ashraf. Um, I, I, I thank you for bringing some balance into the discussion in the last few minutes when you talked about the events post the revolution mm-hmm. and the coup in particular. I think for your guest, with respect, I think it is a serious misrepresentation not to talk about the coup and what is currently happening below the veneer or beneath the veneer of what seems like an economic success in Egypt is a brutal regime that is killing off its people and carrying out mass killings on a regular basis. There's no judicial system. People are tried, sentenced to death in their hundreds. And here's a president who wants to be a champion of Africa. I think for your guest in the studio who calls himself an Afro-optimist, Egypt's a really bad example. As South Africans, we know that we need a democratic, free society for there to be economic growth, for there to be balanced economic growth, for there to be inclusive economic growth. We simply cannot tolerate leaders like Sisi. He's a general. He's paid for by the Saudis and the Gulf Arabs, and they've been hitting the media recently about how they go about their politics. I think it's disgusting to think of Sisi as a leader for African youth. It's a country of 120, 120 million people. I was there for the Africa 2017 conference in Sharm el-Sheikh last year. Mm. I'm not surprised when I see many, many young people. It's, it's, it's a large country. It's a populous country. We should look below and beneath this kind of superficial veneer that CC has created as a general and a brutal dictator. I should have been mm. really sad if South Africans don't appreciate 
that Egypt is not a model for us, especially okay. with the coup that has been carried out. Right, got that. Thanks for, thanks for bringing yeah. it up. Well, the show is called The Viewpoint. You've just given us yeah. yours, Amma. Thanks for that call. Uh, Victor, respond to yeah. that? You know what? The, I've never run a country. So when you yeah. talk about... <laughs> no, seriously, though, and it's important that I know. I stick to what I know. And that's why I'm commenting about the economic picture, because I cannot comment about how President Al-Sisi is running the country with regard to dealing with... Remember, you mentioned it, that Arab Spring had implications not only for Egypt, for, Alger- for, for, for Tunisia and for Libya. The spillover effects are still being felt in as far as Nigeria, as far as Middle Eastern Syria and all that. Yeah. And, and there are pluses and minuses of this. The question is, if I had been running a country, and I'm saying that with respect to Ahmed, if I had been running a country that had been through the Arab Spring, what would I do? How perfect would I be? How would I deal with opposition? How would I deal with dissent? I do not know. Are there cases of people that are being victims of intolerance? Yes, there are reports like that, but I don't know the details. Okay, but on the top there, yeah. what you but, see is, uh, yeah. a, is a growing economy. Yeah, because remember, and, and exactly, and that's why from 2003, when I started talking about Africa, I said, let me focus on the business and the economics. It does not mean they are not related to the politics. I'm saying when you come into the politics, there are many other dynamics that I'm not an expert on. And I'm not saying Egypt is a perfect country. Just like, let me give an example to acknowledge Ahmad's point that President Paul Kagame of Rwanda himself has critics who saying, yeah, he's not dealing with opposition very well. They mentioned Diane Rigara, who was Mm -hmm. arrested. The government of Rwanda says it's because she has tax issues and there are issues with her family business. Her supporters are saying it's because she took on President Paul Kagame and wanted to be president. When she announced her presidency, I said, this is what we need. Rwanda needs younger people to stand up. She's 35. She wants to be president. But she got arrested until about three, four weeks ago when the court forced the president to release him while she awaits trial. While she awaits trial. So I'm not ever going to say any leader in Africa, including my own, is perfect. Okay. Because if you look under the veneer, as he says, there will be always things that you can criticize people of course, for. And, and but maybe, am, I, am I qualified to talk about them? There will be way too many details that I don't know. If you say Ashraf was arrested in, in Egypt and he was denied bail and his parents were killed, I will say, hey, somebody was killed. That's tragic. I don't know enough to be okay, able fair to comment. Enough, yeah. Yeah. And look, we, we've had those chaps about uh, maybe you know we, we had... Um, uh, Tembisa Fakude was based with Al Jazeera and Qatar the other day and spoke about many things and it may come up again with, with him who's certainly close to the action there. But 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 let's get this right at, at the broad principle mm. that ultimately there is a connection between, and I'm talking South Africa now, yep. right? There is a connection between business and politics. How else would you explain mm. South Africa's shockingly low economic growth, in fact, negative growth, yeah. uh, low investment, mm. a rent that's plummeted, uh, yeah. a, a country that, that is sort of hovering around junk status. Mm. I mean, can we not all link all of that to, to, the, to the political leadership of you the country? Ca- you can, but we would be mistaken if we said South Africa is where it is today purely because of the politics. Because I will tell you this, mm. our economy is very, very exclusive. Mm-hmm. It's leaving out a lot of people. And granted, part of it is because the government, particularly the government of the ANC, failed to enforce policies that would have made it, if you like, compulsory Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for the economy to be more inclusive. We had a government policy of black economic empowerment. 
We didn't have a government with the guts to enforce it in a way that it could have, including using its buying power to support black-owned businesses. You understand what I mean? Now, the government is the biggest say, buyer. But they are doing that. You're saying they're not. No, 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 no. Come on. The government is the biggest buyer of everything, Ashraf, from mm-hmm. toilet paper mm-hmm. to pens to cars to airline tickets. If you go out and ask people who are fixing cars, panel beaters who are fixing cars, people who have properties in townships who are saying, why isn't the government coming into the townships and use our properties and rent them so that we can show that we have been... And you talk about travel, whatever. You had lawyers not so long ago talking about how government continues to brief white lawyers. So it has not used its buying power to use. So I agree, it might be political, but at the same time, it would be folly to imagine that is purely because of the political leadership. There's a lot that the private sector can do that could have made our economy much more inclusive. So you are right. Politics is about business and business is about politics. One depends on the other and vice versa. But I'm just saying, you cannot just explain everything away in terms of the political leadership because there are countries that have no political leadership to speak of, but that have economies that are thriving. Okay, and vice versa. That makes sense. Let, let's, get, let's get to something that, that we know is very close to your heart. Mm. This Africa is open for business. So yeah. for, for, for people listening for the first time to Victor Komishwana, uh, in fact, he's written a book called Africa is Open for Business, right? Yeah. Uh, so to, to what degree... Is Africa open for business? So, so what I'm saying, help us understand yeah. how much business is happening here. And of course, we're going to make comparisons yeah. with, with other countries, other regions. Ashraf, the top 10 fastest growing economies of the world, more than six are African. And they are not countries you've heard of in lots of ways, like Ethiopia, Tanzania. They, they are happening. Africa has over a billion people. For anybody selling anything, consumer products, healthcare, cars, it's a place to be. Whether you are looking to sell to the top end to bottom end, you have the longest coastline. You've got temperate climate that allows you to do anything. We have 15% of the world population on 20% of the land mass. We could pack China, India, US and all that on Africa and still have enough space. The, the climate allows us to plant just about anything. But here's the thought. Right? And, and evidence is there. If you look at South Africa, from a South African perspective, the way I simplify it, if you want to see exactly what I mean, go and compare Woolworths and ShopRite. Right? Mm-hmm. Woolworths which sells to the top end and people like to buy from, hasn't done very well outside of South Africa. ShopRite, on the other hand, has done exceptionally well. Compare the value of the two companies. You'll see. Take Aspen Pharmacare, which has gone out into the rest mm-hmm. of the continent. Take Standard Bank and compare it to the other of the big four banks that had not gone into the continent as fast and as early as that. And you will know there's no contest. The question when people, I say, whenever I say Africa is open for business, say, is it open for business or for exploitation? Is it open for business for the West or for us? Is it open for business by China to colonize mm. us? All those are genuine concerns. They are questions. But open for business means economic growth is going to happen here for the next 50 years. And if you have what it takes, if you are willing to understand what it takes to operate, and if you are willing to be part of the sustainable economic growth, this is the place. So maybe help us answer this question that you've touched on already. So if Mm. Africa is open for business and it is open for business, then the big fear is, 
is it open for business where the buyer and the seller will be will be China, and therefore in this massive growth that you talk about in the next yeah. fifty years, will the biggest beneficiary be be China? Is that a valid concern, or, it is. or are we off the mark? It is a valid concern because China, remember, with these 1.6 billion people or so, is looking for the minerals we have. It's looking for the land we have to grow food for its people, and they are doing what every country with a lot of people would do. Mm-hmm. Would it be beneficial to China? Yes, certainly. Just like it would be beneficial to the U.S. and to Europe and to anybody who is interested in investing. The, the, the question whether it will benefit us depends on the leadership we have. And I'm saying always when I hear China is giving us money for this and for that, I say, well, I hope some of that manufacturing will come to us. If they say the China is giving us so much in loans, I say, I hope they're not going to hire Chinese engineers, Chinese lawyers, Chinese everything up to and including laborers mm. that we can get. Because if we allow them to do that, they will do it, Ashraf. What's and, the, what is happening at the moment? So, so you've just given us the yeah, wish list. Yeah. What actually is happening? Uh, it's 50-50, I would say. I'm beginning to see countries that are turning the corner, and I'm going to take it out of South Africa. For example, mm-hmm. you might have heard about five weeks ago that there was a, a rumor that China is owed money by Zambia to the extent that the newly refurbished, and it's a beautiful airport, mm-hmm. the Kenneth Kaunda International mm-hmm. Airport in Lusaka, is going to be handed over. And the, the government of, of, of Zambia denied it flat. But you know what? There's no smoke without fire. In fact... China has done it in Sri Lanka. They took the, the port. They are now 75% owners because Sri Lanka couldn't pay them back. So they will do it. Cyril Ramaphosa, the president today said, well, that's not going to happen. We're closing our deals in a very careful way. I wish I could believe him 100% because there are many other deals that were signed before he came in, and I'm not sure they are all above board. The point is, what is happening at the moment, there are instances where you have Chinese companies, some of them state-owned, some of them private, operating in countries where they hire security officers, they hire truck drivers as Chinese. And you're saying, well, is that necessary even? When because I mean, you're, you're just, I'm trying to understand this, this yeah. description for people to, to get to. Mm. So typically, you have a you have a home, yeah. you have a struggling home, and they're battling to make ends meet. Yeah. So they invite a visitor who comes in and stays at the house, or yeah. his proxy or her proxy yeah. lives at that house, and then offers to buy the food for the duration of the stay. Exactly. And then while they offer to buy the food because their preference is pasta and not chicken, yeah. Yeah. then the diet changes to pasta and, yeah. and not chicken. Yeah. That's the concern people have around China. Now, is yeah. it a valid concern? And if it's a valid concern, yeah. how do we work around it yeah. when you go back to that home, mm. the poor family in the home are battling to make ends meet in the first place. Yeah. And when you're battling to make ends meet, yeah. you will take the first meal where it comes from. Yes, if you're broke, but not poor, you will know how to negotiate a deal. You know, if I owe the bank today and I go into them and they say, ah, you, you have a bad credit record, but we like you. What you want to borrow money for, we will finance. I can negotiate on the basis of that. They might give me prime plus interest rate, but at least they'll give me the loan. But they can't harass me. They can't treat me like I'm not worthy because I have one bad debt I have. So what I'm seeing in the way China is doing business is that many African leaders, and I'm including the African Union here, have allowed it to behave like a man who comes into your house, Ashraf, and start feeding your family. And they start buying food. They start fixing your roof. They start fixing the light when it's not working. 
they built the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa. And then we were saying, oh, why are the lifts in this building speaking Mandarin? Well, if you did not put money down for your own building, what do you expect? There was a question that the Chinese had hacked the system and the information of African leaders had been compromised. Well, if you let somebody build your headquarters and you call yourself African Union, maybe you deserve to have your system hacked because what are you doing with so many resources? Africa, Ashraf, after all the exploitation of the colonial era, has still got so many resources that it doesn't need to borrow money from anybody. We have enough underground, we have enough land, we have got enough climate and conditions that we need not borrow money. If we just manage to leverage whatever resources we have. Then what do you make? Why, why if that's the case? Yeah. And yes, the issue of colonization may come up, but I mean, the world also changes so quickly. Yep. If we've got the resources and we've got the land and yep. we've got the youth on our side and we've yep. got the, the numbers and we've seen from the examples of China and India that big populations are not necessarily an impediment to growth. They could actually mm. spur on growth, ironically, mm. right? Mm. But then why are we still getting it so wrong? Because on, we don't know our at, worth. If you look at t- 10 barometers, mm. whether it's electrification, whether yep. it's GDP, whether it's malnutrition, yeah. we, we're on the wrong end of all those barometers, aren't yeah. we? With regard to having so many resources and not being able to do anything is because we don't know our worth. Remember I said you can be broke, but you're not poor. Being broke is you don't have money. But when you're poor is when you don't, we don't even have a sense of what you're worth. That way I can tell you, Ashraf, you're worthless and you won't Mm -hmm. be able to talk back because you don't know your worth. You're poor, you're impoverished. Your thinking is impoverished. And as a result, China can come in, U.S. can come in, Europe can come in and say, I will give you $200 million. And then they go and hire their own engineers, their own lawyers, and even put that money in a Chinese account and only pay after the job has been done. So eventually, 70% of the money goes back to the source. It happened with ODA, or Overseas Development Assistance, and we are allowing it. As far as the failure to deliver on infrastructure is lack of vision and small-mindedness. So I would rather steal the money that's supposed to build a road from here to Lusikiseki, and I'm using it because mm. people always talk about it as if it doesn't deserve a highway. Instead of building the road so that young people can wash cars around there, people can sell vegetables on the road, and people can build more hotels and filling stations and the economy can grow, Mm. I would rather pocket the money and have two lanes instead of four. So that's small-mindedness. That allows me to steal from myself. Because when when you're stealing money that is going to build an infrastructure, you are stealing from yourself. Okay, fascinating thoughts with our big hitter for the night, uh, Victor Komiswana, amongst many other things. He's very much a a man in the the space on the African continent. He's the author of a book, Africa Open for Business. More to come. In fact, we need to talk about uh, some of those things and and maybe some of the other regions besides Egypt and South Africa and the issue of China. But uh, whether it's East or West Africa, what are they really doing? Uh, Your thoughts are as always welcome. And if you wish to engage me, it's 089. 1104207 engage me engage victor sms is 40938 uh, then whatsapp voice notes if you're up for that instead of going live on air it's 0614104107 just the last thing twitter hashtag sfm viewpoint when you do tweet it's the viewpoint this week on At The Table, we visit Kunu Restaurant at Johannesburg's five-star section hotel, where the executive chef, Chef Jane Therese Maori, will be preparing us one of her innovative and flavor-inspired three-course meals. Our special guest is radio and television personality, Bongani Enex, who will be joining us to share highlights of his career over the past 20 years. Don't forget to catch At The Table this Wednesday at 8.30 only on SABC3.
SAFM and Birchwood Hotel invite you and your loved one to the Birchwood Comes Alive Jazz Evening on Friday the 9th of November at the Birchwood Hotel in Boxburg, Israel. Performing live on stage will be the spectacular Mafizono. Supported by the Levites as well as Leo Dube. While Tolas Mo will have the audience in stitches as the comedian for the evening. Tune in to SAFM and stand a chance to win two VIP tickets and one night accommodation for you and your partner. For bookings, visit birchwoodhotel.co.za or call 011-897-0000. SAFM, let the music talk. 1879. A young chocolatier goes home for the weekend, but forgets to turn off the mixing machine. You might have expected him to return to a burnt mass of ruined chocolate, but instead, it was creamy and perfect. Rodolphe Lindt had accidentally revolutionized chocolate. Today, Lindt employs almost 14,000 people globally and is just one of over 300 exceptional companies in the CoreShares Global Dividend Aristocrats ETF. Visit coreshares.co.za. Coreshares is a registered FSP. Call SAFM right now on 0891-104-207. More to talk about with Victor Khomishwana. Uh, we have another call. Uh, we got a couple of calls we'll take. Let's get to, I think it's a bus from, from KZN. You're on the air. Hello. Yes, uh, Ashraf Salam. Uh, it's a bus from KZN. Yes, bus. Good talking uh, to you. Mm. What you call this, uh, when I visited Saudi Arabia yeah. several times, I came to learn that in their laws, no foreign company can operate in the country without partnering with the locals or local companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, equally so, if you look at um, the laws in South Africa, even though the constitution may be enabling, but I think our government is not serious about issues of uh, immigration and uh, ensuring that uh, the ordinary peoples of this country are benefited by the framework of the law, where companies who come in Africa um, partner with companies belonging to Africans, as, as well as um, uh, small businesses, for an example. We know the issues of xenophobia in South Africa has been a very big problem. Mm, mm, mm. But at the heart of it is that uh, the legislation is not implemented by the state uh, where people coming and entering the country are subjected to following the, the parameters of the law and they can compete fairly, mm, or mm. even have a legislation where they could easy, where they could um, um, be partnered with uh, with house owners in the townships, where a person owning a house where the spaza is being built partners with a foreign person who intends to open a spaza, and they can run and uh, the business jointly and share their expertise together. In this way, there would be areas of inclusivity in the economy. But uh, we, I do not believe that our government in all three spheres is very serious about including 
the majority of the people of South Africa okay. into the economy. In- interesting. So, so quick one, Abbas, before I let you go. Abbas Mkhizi, I've got that right, okay? Is, 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 so w- what's your advice in terms of what can we learn from that example that you gave us uh, in terms of, say, the Middle East or Saudi Arabia, where they need uh, local equity in, in those businesses? I think let's do exactly what they're doing. In Saudi Arabia, Arabs don't work. Uh, all these uh, Middle East, uh, these Eastern countries, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, Burma, those countries are the laborers of the country. And mm-hmm. sometimes Africans run big, big, huge companies of, in Saudi Arabia uh, as legislated by the laws of the, of the land. Why cannot why can it not be that Africa with all the minerals underground, uh, Africa with, with land and climate that is conducive for almost everything, as your guest has uh, highlighted, yeah, why yeah. can it not be that these cooperatives that are, are put in place in rural communities, in townships, why is it not that uh, foreign companies like your Anglo-Americans are subjected to partner with local companies in extracting the minerals where they can share expertise. Okay. Chinese, when they come, why are they not partnering with local companies in doing whatever activities in business that Okay, got that. And you're talking about equity. You're talking about equity partnership. Abbas, let's leave it at that. Thank you for your time. Interesting points raised from Abbas uh, in, in Kiza from KZN. Okay, Victor? You can't argue with that. Mm. You can't argue with that. The... Remember, when we say local content, we simply mean shared value, mm-hmm. shared benefits. It's unsustainable to have people coming and taking over everything because you're creating hostility. So it doesn't mean kill enterprise. It doesn't mean be hostile to investors. Just make sure that you insist. And the best form of equity, Ashraf, in South Africa, at least for me, is to allow black-owned enterprises a share of the procurement budget of government, which is huge. Before we look at private sector and say they must embrace black economic empowerment, let's look at the government treating black-owned enterprises, making sure they pay in the shortest possible time, making sure they create conditions. Okay, but that's the one part. The other part is, if we look at the example of, so there's there's two types of historical foreigners. One has been predominantly from Europe in the past who who came in and actually has been the dominant economic players. I'm talking of British and Europe and and, yeah. uh, and, and Dutch extraction. Mm. The others in, in recent times, we're talking of Somalians and yeah. uh, uh, Bangladeshis and people from mainly from India, Pakistan and, mm. uh, and, and other parts of, of Southern and, and, uh, and further North of Africa. Mm. Uh, and, they, and they come with their own unique ways of doing business, right? Yeah. Should they, when they are, when they are trading in, in our townships, mm. right? Should, should, the, should the locals have equity in those businesses? <sighs> That, in essence, is what, yeah. what Abbas is. Whenever I hear township economy, I wonder if the Somalis were not always going to win and the Pakistanis against our people. Not because our people are lazy or anything, mm. but because we didn't take them seriously in the first place when we opened shopping malls where they used to operate and we didn't give them a share of that action. So you get a fancy, glitzy mall in Soweto where people were raised by spaza shop owners. And all of a sudden, and I'm not even talking spaza shop owners, I mean shops like Shabalalas, the Maponyas, the people who were there running real businesses. Mm. We allowed shopping malls to come in 
And we did not quite say, what is the equity of the businesses that have been there making sure they'll get a share of this action? So they were taken out because then the best buyers went into the shopping malls. And then the Somalis and Pakistanis found those people who are cost conscious and they're able to say, we can sell you bread at a quarter of the price or half of the price. I don't know what we expect. Poor South Africans who don't earn enough money to do, <laughs> to do because they, they are not. But I'm thinking we undermined our own informal traders and township and village shop owners when we allowed shopping malls to spring all over, bring the pick and pace the into shopping, town. Shopping malls are the problem. Yes. Well, I'm saying the way we planned the development, because you know, a shopping mall is not everything. Mm. We, we build shopping malls without the industries to go with it. Yeah. So we bring in, for example... A shopping mall in Jabulani, we bring a shopping mall in Soweto, we bring a shop, but there's not a single bakery. So we are going to have bread being brought in from outside of Soweto to a town of more than a million people. And not even, we can't even get bread to be baked in Soweto? Come on. So part of the development is if I'm going to give you a shopping mall license to build it, show me that you're not just bringing retail, you're bringing retail and a bit of the industrial. And I'm talking the simple things, the eggs. Where are you packaging your eggs? Where are you going to def- uh, freeze your chickens? Are, you gonna be, are they going to be local people doing the cold storage yeah, yeah, and transportation? Yeah. Making sure up front. But we, we, are, we are very good at building high-end developments in areas and not providing for middle and lower income. Just like we build very fancy estates, golf estates, without a school for the people who are going to work there, without taxi ranks for the people who are going to work there. We somehow expect them to fly in and fly out. We want them working in our houses, but no, we don't want them educating their children okay. anywhere near well, us. So it's that kind of policies right. that, that, will, that will keep okay. us Okay, I water. need to touch on... on Areas uh, like Sierra Leone and parts of Western East Africa in terms of your thoughts, right? Uh, but uh, Mushabi's on the line from Polakwani. You're on the air. Go ahead. Welcome. Good evening, Ashra. Good evening, I'm indeed. now for the second time since the born of this, so our lovely SAFM. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you, you called in. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, that's Mushabi. Not, uh, yeah, from Polakwani, of course. I will start by saying experience, I think, is the best teacher. And uh, from there, I think we need to move from what we call capitalism to socialism. And uh, our government needed to practice what they preach. At the end, I would humbly, so to say, request, if not second last, our visitor there to be the advisor of our lovely South Africa. More so, which is the last point that I want to say, uh, as I said last time, you bring along good people with brilliant ideas, but at the end of the day, those ideas end up flying somewhere in the air. They don't go to the government. Thank you very much. Okay, do call again. Interesting thoughts that you bring. Uh, Victor, respond? Well, that's kind, Mushabi. I'm from Limpopo myself, by the way, so I'm very encouraged. Uh, you know, Ashraf, I write every week for a weekly newspaper. <laughs> I, I read it every right. week, so you know. I, I write books. And I save your articles. I speak on radio. <laughs> I am sure that if anybody finds sense in what I'm saying, they will do it. That's what I accepted. I'm an evangelist. 
I try and understand what's going on. I try and hike. The, the Africa is open for business crusade is to make sure we, we highlight what's working on the African continent. Wherever it is, I'll find it and, and I'll bring it. Again, I'll repeat. I'm not saying when I say something is working well in Egypt or in, in Rwanda, I'm saying the country is perfect. Mm. I don't mean that. I mean, here's an example of how we can do it. You know, I was in Rwanda f six weeks ago because I'm writing a book about Rwanda now. And I went to a place called Mohanga, which is far from Kigali. And I found these young guys here, 24-year-olds, 26-year-olds, launching drones to take blood to about 19 clinics in the country. To transport them? Okay. To transport them. And I went there and I visited them in pouring rain. And they were just launching. They said, as long as there's no wind, we continue working. So imagine a trip that could take two and a half hours, three hours, one way to deliver blood. And when somebody needs blood, remember, they are in a situation of life and death. Mm -hmm. And they have drones. They brought in an American company, but they're hiring people of Rwanda to dispatch blood. There's no way I'm going to hide something like that and refuse to talk about it. Absolutely. Now, am I going to be saying we must be like Rwanda? No, I'm not saying. I'm simply saying... With regard to servicing rural communities, I grew up in a rural village. Sometimes they transport one patient from Limpopo in the Zanin side to Mohopong, which is more than 300 kilometers away to get treatment for TB and all that, which means sometimes they are going to be delivering consumables, medical consumables. And should they be doing that or should we be using drones to do this? So we can copy from one another. And look at that which That's works. That's fair enough. There's a, yeah. there's a couple of comments. Yeah. Uh, you are so, I'm not sure, you are so right, maybe, bra Victor, about China. The BAIC at Kuka is a case in point. The IDC owns a stake of the corporation. DTI plowed millions of rands. And to top it all, the company enjoys special economic zone incentives. But most of the entities and employees in decent jobs are Chinese. Okay, there yeah. we are. Let's let's move on to, we've got five or six minutes to go yeah. uh, as the big hitter. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about two, three other countries. Sierra Leone, you already mentioned you yeah. want to talk about them. Tell me about it. Sierra Leone, a country that we know for blood diamonds. You know, they had so many mm -hmm. diamonds and as a result, they were exploited. And I'm, I'm mentioning them because Africa is being accused, well, and rightfully so, of succumbing to China and borrowing too much money. Already East Africa owes close to $30 billion to China, and they are going to lose some of that money. Sierra Leone is the first country that I know of that came in, a new president came into power a few months ago, replacing NS by Koroma, who had done well for the country, but had taken some deals to build an airport, among other things. I think it was $40 billion or something. I can't remember the amount. This new president said to him, you know, I'm going to cancel this loan because, one, we are not utilizing the existing airport to the full. So I'm going to cancel it because I'm not sure one will be able to afford the repayment. And secondly, I don't know where the money is going to come from, whether there's going to be enough patronage. I'm using them as an example. It's a very small country, insignificant, very easy to overlook. But one leader who has led by example and demonstrated to show. I was also in Nigeria two weeks ago. And that's another country that we talk mm -hmm. about very mistakenly because we see a few Nigerians that have been caught and convicted of drug trafficking and whatever. And we think we know Nigeria. We don't. Nigeria is uh, one in five Africans will be Nigerian soon. So it's not a country you can overlook. But I was there and what I liked is, although it's still having so many problems, it is beginning to move in the right direction. They have refined and consolidated their banking sector. They are 
they are able i was able the last time i went to nigeria in 2020 mm -hmm. 2012 i wasn't able to swipe my card freely i went there i got to the airport they told me how much i was going to pay for my visa on a south african passport i paid exactly that amount using my card before it wouldn't have worked the other country i want to talk about is tanzania john magufuli on the east side yeah on the east side and people don't like him because they say he suppresses opposition much to Amar's points earlier on that mm. leaders are not perfect he deals with opposition in a very brutal way but one thing i can tell you he has managed to take that country and put it on the right path fighting corruption fighting wastage you remember when he got inaugurated for the first time and he cancelled the independence day celebration and said take the money we're going to use to party to celebrate independence we got in the 60s buy beds for the hospitals that i visited last week that don't have beds it's those kinds of leaders that i believe give me hope that although we say the African big man is out there, and even Mnangagwa, Emerson Mnangagwa in Zimbabwe, I have a lot of faith that for all the problems that Zimbabwe is facing, that country is headed in the right direction. And once they, once they get it right, Ashraf, we're going to see the rightful hub of Okay, what, what about K Kenya, Uganda? Kenya is the, is the powerhouse of, of, of East Africa. I like what President Uhuru Kenyatta has done. He has continued projects that he found in office. He has stabilized that horn of Africa by continuing to get involved in Somalia, one way or another contributing to the peacekeeping. He has maintained the upward trend on ICT and made sure that the competitiveness of that country is not compromised. He has managed to, even with the challenge of Raila Odinga and the electoral processes that were there, he managed to maintain his poise. Uganda is my real problem because although I liked President Museveni when he started in the late 80s, he has started being one of those men who just want to hang on and hang on. First of all, he changed the limits that you may be president indefinitely and he, he removed the term limitations, which means he's wanting to, <laughs> he's, he, he's wanting to be in powerful. He took over in 1986. He has been getting Bobby Wine, who's an artist that was two years when he took over. He's challenging him for politics and he's been arresting him, harassing him. Oh, I think if there's a real downward thing in, in East Africa, that will be there. Because Ethiopia is flying high. 41-year-old prime minister who has opened that horn of Africa like no Massive other. changes there with appointments Massive as well, right? changes. So, Somalia? Somalia is going to benefit from the leadership of Ethiopia, Ashraf. because and the peace. And the peace, because remember what Abe Ahmed, the prime minister of Ethiopia, did when he took over. He opened relations with Eritrea, the country they've been at war with for a long time. He opened relations with Somalia. Four ports that they're likely to open there, which means Ethiopia now has better access to sea. Remember, they already have the best airline government owned absolutely. in Africa. Mm -hmm. Now imagine if they get the sea routes going. Need You're going to see. need to go and visit Ethiopia, absolutely. Right, 40 seconds left. Yeah. So let's quickly talk about an African country that's part of SADC. It's called South Africa. South Africa. And I'm getting you to think yeah. from you from North Africa no, looking downwards. What, what do you what can you tell us about South Africa? We have a chance. I think the words of President Bill Clinton sum it all up. We can't mess this last chance we have to get it right. South Africa is a great country, resilient people. We always bounce back. We have infrastructure that is still ahead of the rest in Africa, but we have one last chance to get it right. But that is going to mean, Ashraf, making our economy inclusive, getting education right, getting healthcare going. Those three things are not negotiable. And we'll get there. We have a chance. Will we get there? I'm optimistic. I mean, President Ramaphosa has a challenge because he's balancing way too many competing interests and there's some pettiness somewhere in the quarters of our politicians. But we don't have a choice. If we mess it up now, we are out of the Premier okay. League of Africa forever. And yesterday we saw Parliament as exciting as it was in those days of... <laughs>
Zuma weather. That's a good thing or a bad thing. I'll leave it for you to decide. Uh, Victor Komiswana, appreciate your time. Africa is open for business. Get that book besides the new book coming up about Rwanda. We'll have a podcast up of this uh, tomorrow morning around 9 o'clock. Let's get the news now. It is 9 o'clock.